Scripture reading today is Daniel 2, 1 through 11. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we shall know the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we shall show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with the flesh. Dear God, please help Pastor Grant to be filled with your spirit. Preach only your word and nothing else. Please open our hearts and prepare our minds to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was sweet. <laughs> Man, I have great news today. Like I know the gospel is all we care about around here. That is true. And, and there are parts of the gospel that, um, you know, there's, there's not really parts of the gospel. It's one great news. But, you know, there's, there's facets of it. It's, it's a big truth. It's a simple truth, but it's a big truth. And we get a chance to focus on such an overlooked and really important part of the gospel. In fact, today we're going to focus on one of the most essential elements of the gospel. And quite frankly, it is a truth that has saved my life, has changed my life. Let me just see who, uh, I mean, I know you guys, but I've never asked this question before. <clears throat> How many of you uh, spend at least some part of most years in a season of existential dread? Just me. Okay. No, good. Thank you. Some of, you are, some of you are honest and some of you are like, I just go to the bakery and then it's all better. I just, I just try to up my Netflix intake and then it all, I just all of that dread just flies away. I've found ways to just placate everything. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, you know, I was like the nerdy kid in junior high, like writing poetry, right? Like playing baseball, writing poetry. I, and you know, poet, poets deal in death. Like I was like, like, you know, 12 years old going, yeah, but what happens when you die, man? You know, and everybody's like, you want to play marbles? Um, so I, I've just never been very far. And that's the way my, even my life with Christ has been um, you know, every season has, has brought big questions. And I would say this, no matter what your personality is, at some point, the big questions in life are going to get asked. 
at some point, what you're doing that works great is going to stop working. At some point, I don't know what it will be. Um, for you know, some it's a it's a, a phone call, or some it's a meeting that didn't go well. For some, it's a birthday. You want to tell me you've never met anybody had a bad six months because they turned thirty or something? You know what I mean? Um, I, by the way, I just turned fifty. I've declared it the fun fifties. So if you have any bad news for me, just you could tell it to freaked out forties Grant. Fun fifties Grant, it's doing fine. Um, see existential dread all the time. And if you want joy, I assume you do. If you want joy that is available in Christ, if you want to know what we're talking about when we say, if you walk in step with the Holy Spirit, there is available love and peace and joy. And hope, if you want not hope where you just at dinner parties go, yes, I'm a very hopeful person, and then go home and stare at the ceiling because turns out you're a freaked out person, not a hopeful person in private then you need to not only know that Jesus rose from the dead and is coming back. You have to know that. There is no hope outside of that simple gospel truth that the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive, and there's a place for us uh, with him someday. And that is great, but it's not the entirety of the gospel truth. This great news I have for you today, it won't be a surpri- you won't be surprised by it. You probably already know it. And, and, but so few of us have really leaned into it to the point where it has changed our lives. Like we know it, but we haven't really changed our lives accordingly. And here is the great news. Nothing in this world works. <laughs> Why are you expecting it to? Nothing works except for the Savior that rose from the grave. Of course, some things work better than others, but there will come a time when you need the truth. You don't just need talking points to jabber with your buddies over a donut and coffee. You don't just need to know what your side thinks. You don't just need to know, like, well, what does our church believe about that? No, 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 that's not enough anymore. There comes a time... When life has given you a set of circumstances where you need the truth. I say things like metaphysics and I see your eyes roll in the back of your head, but that's what you need. It's like the true truth, the metaphysical truth. Like what is actually going on in the universe? You need to know, does this stuff matter or doesn't it? Is this just stuff I do so I feel better? After all, prayer, no matter who you're praying to, has similar impact on the nervous system. Is that what we're talking about? Or... Is there actual truth that's available? This section of Scripture is focused on a couple of things we've talked about. We're in exile in Babylon, and <clears throat> Daniel is largely, the book of Daniel is largely about God's superiority over the Babylonian gods and, and about the, the eternal nature of the kingdom, that God's eternal kingdom is superior over these earthly kingdoms that come and go, look big and strong, and look like they're going to last forever, but they don't. But how that story gets told is largely through the character of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and his four friends. I think most of us would say, who are the main characters in Daniel? And we'd say, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they are wonderfully, beautifully, praise the Lord, they are static. They don't change. Like me and you shouldn't change. They are faithful at the beginning. They are 
faithful at the end. They are faithful when they're teenagers exiled from their homeland. They are faithful in the bottom of the fiery furnace and in the den of lions. They are faithful. They don't give in. That is great. Nebuchadnezzar, on the other hand, is the farthest thing from static. He is literate, one of literature's most dynamic characters. We watch him change. Okay, um, you know how Star Wars is sort of about Luke Skywalker, but really it's about the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's actually watching the bad guy go all the way through and then find truth at the end. That last scene, that's what, you know, this is kind of the point. It's like that with Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is faithful and we admire Daniel. But I got a little more Nebuchadnezzar in me, if you want to be honest. It's all going to fall apart for Nebuchadnezzar. And then it's all going to be put back together in a way that only God could do it. And that is probably true for, I would say, most of us. I guess I've met people who, in their later years, say, well, I asked Jesus into my life when I was four. Straight line. No doubts. No crises. My faith was never rocked. Praise the Lord, man. Give yourself a high five. I would say for most of us, there's going to come times when life gives you things that you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sunday school answers are not going to work for this one. The flannel graph was great, but it wasn't enough for this. I would even say this, and I've said it to you before. The faith that you were handed as a child was never intended to sustain adult living. If your theology was finalized at eight years old, then there might come a time where it all falls apart, where something happens, where there's a crisis, where life is not as simple as you thought it was. Today's story is the story of the beginning of it all falling apart for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is learning that nothing in his life is enough for the deepest answers of the human heart. And you know, Nebuchadnezzar is, I'm so grateful for Nebuchadnezzar in, this, in similar ways that I'm grateful. You know, this, this is the theme of Ecclesiastes, which I've said over and over is my favorite book in the Bible. And um, this idea that nothing on earth is ever going to be enough, that this is a really important truth. This is the, maybe even the beginning of the gospel. Like, why do you need a savior if there's other things that might work? And why Nebuchadnezzar is so helpful is because there's really nothing that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have. Where I can always go, you know, I'm winning the lottery away from everything being okay. <clears throat> or I'm, you know, an elbow operation away from getting my curveball back. Or something. I'm, I'm just a little bit, if only these people in my life would just do life my way, then it would all be okay. I'm two people asking for forgiveness because they have wronged me away from everything being okay. But Nebuchadnezzar really is the, the king of the world. He's recently defeated Assyria and Egypt to be the conqueror in Mesopotamia, all the way to Africa, to the Mediterranean, and I don't even know how far east. All he sees He's the master of. He doesn't lack anything. If there were things in this world that would satisfy, would be enough, you would think Nebuchadnezzar would have access to it. 
I would at least say, if anything in this world is going to satisfy me, Nebuchadnezzar probably would have found it first. It's something we all need to learn. I sound like when I talk about this stuff, people go, is Grant okay? Look, Grant is fine, but Grant is fine because I learned to give up. I learned that there's there's nothing, that my heart is a black hole, that nothing on earth is going to satisfy, that it's just Christ. And if you can stop striving, if you can stop assuming that it is Jesus plus something else that will satisfy you and say Christ and Christ alone is what I need to be satisfied, then you're on your way to understanding the gospel. This is a joyful thing. And we'll talk about that a little more in a while. Usually it starts with something. For Nebuchadnezzar, it started with a dream. And in all of our lives, at some point, you go, well, something happened. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, oh, second year, maybe it should say third year. If you had a question about that, I'm not going to spend time today, but you could email and we'll, well, I'll tell you how it's second year. Um, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled, and sleep left him. I almost like that, you know, there's lots of things that could be the thing that sends us into a need for more. Sometimes it is a medical diagnosis, or sometimes it's a stage of life, or sometimes it's a birthday, or there's lots of things it might be, but it can be nothing external, too. It can just be sleep. It can just be you had a thought. You had an idea. And you can't shake it. For Nebuchadnezzar, it was a dream. Now, dreams meant a lot in Babylon. They assigned, um, they, uh, they assigned meaning to dreams, and they had whole experts in the field of dream interpretation. And so Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that we're not even going to talk about today. We're going to talk about that next week. But Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that he just couldn't shake. And I would assume if you're over the age of 14, you've had an idea that you just couldn't shake. Like I say, I started at like 12, but I was an overachiever in being melancholy. (laughs) It was the police song, uh, King of Pain. Remember the police song, King of Pain? There's a little black spot on the sun today. I couldn't get away from it. It, I think I've said that before. It wrecked me. What's that mean? 50 years old, still don't know what Sting was talking about. But something happened. It's a phone call. It's a meeting. It's a birthday. It's kids entering the family. Did you ever feel like you knew everything about raising a family and had read all the books and then you have some kids and go, holy smoke, I've lost my identity. I don't know who I am anymore. And I'm terrible at this, whatever this is. Maybe on the other end, it's kids leaving. And you go, I have my whole identity wrapped around being a dad, being a mom. This is what This is what I did. And what do you mean you're going to college in Connecticut? I'll go with you. (laughs) Connecticut sounds lovely. But you know, the truth is every every stage, there's been, you know, a lot lot of ink spilled about this, but every stage of life is going to bring new questions about meaning, about what does it mean? Why am I here? What's going on in the world? Is there reason to hope? So, for most of us, there will come a time 
Maybe it won't be a dream, but for Nebuchadnezzar, it was a dream that he couldn't shake. But, um, you know, I think maybe we, um, because we want to not get rid of the supremacy of Christ and the truth that Jesus is, look, when we're pursuing truth, we're not pursuing a set of ideas, we're pursuing a person. Jesus is the truth. And we know that, and, and we don't want to act like we don't know that. And so I don't know that I've ever been in a lot of rooms full of Christians where it was safe to go, I'm really struggling with just meaning. I still know why I'm here. I'm just really struggling with, with you know, I, I have this idea that I just can't shake. Life has changed. I got a phone call, and I don't know what anything means anymore. I mean, can you imagine what would happen in that room? Oh, have you prayed about it? Yeah. They have, probably on their face with tears. So for Nebuchadnezzar is a dream. So when something happens, what you do is you, you call your counselors. And so the worldly wisdom of the day is consulted. Verse 2 says, Then the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, commanded that the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before him. Now, it's pretty easy to poo-poo that. It's pretty easy to go, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans. I promise our counselors look as ridiculous to them as their counselors look to us. Oh, these guys using the stars to predict the future. Let's hop on that, you know, stock market channel again. <laughs> See what they say is going to happen. I'm reading tea leaves too. We have counselors that are full of earthly wisdom. So these guys, magicians were, uh, the, the, the word means diviner. So these guys read the stars. They had charts. They knew, you know, what the heavens were, were saying. It's somewhere between astrology and a farmer's almanac. You know, like they watched the stars. They knew what was going on. They were able to, to, to know to some extent what's going on because they had carefully watched the stars. And every time, you know, I hear people go, they were just watching the stars. I go, can you get in a boat and navigate the earth? Because they could. Like, these are not dumb people. You know, these were brilliant people. Enchanters. The enchanters were the incantation priests. So they were supposed to be able to change things. They're going to, and not necessarily cast a spell, but they're going to give that wisdom that has spiritual force behind it that's going to impact the future. Sorcerers use things like charms and herbs and potions. Maybe this is more like a witch doctor, right? Like this is, uh, and, 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 and I mean, I don't have time to, to tell you everything I've read about these guys, but new age movements look a lot like this. Um, the Chaldeans, the, the word Chaldean, like it means this group of people that are from the south in Babylon, but it also came to mean like the, the wise men in Babylon. You could, they were, most of them were the court officials. They were like the, the Praetorian guard of, of Nebuchadnezzar. They were his closest advisors, his defenders. Um, and, and they were precise astronomers, the, the Chaldeans. They were historians. They, they were the court officials. So the point is, these were the best that Nebuchadnezzar had to offer. Nebuchadnezzar didn't just like go to some palm reader. No, he called the best, the wisest people that he knew to call on. And they were good. They used trigonometry to track Jupiter. Can you use trigonometry to track Jupiter? Probably there's a couple. There's MPS guys. You can use trigonometry. I can't spell trigonometry. They used advanced geometry. They had the most advanced written language. I mean, they were philosophers. So Nebuchadnezzar had good reason to call them, and I'm sure there had been many times when he had questions 
And they provided good answers. It had worked in the past. But now something more is needed. And I don't know where you turn for answers. There might be that you've gotten good answers. You had questions and there were counselors. There was good earthly wisdom that was helpful. But it's okay if there comes a time where that's not enough. Now something more is needed. Something that can't just be observed with our five senses. Something beyond scientific discovery. Wisdom from somewhere else. And here's the thing. The fact that you need wisdom that is more than earthy is a hint that you are a spiritual being. Cooper the Basset Hound does not need wisdom that is more than the earth has to offer. Ear rubs, treats. It's about it. But there might come a time when that's not enough for you. That's because you're a spiritual being. You are going to live forever. So don't be surprised if there's nothing in this world that satisfies that piece of your heart. Wisdom from somewhere else is needed. He needs a peace that surpasses understanding. It reminds me of something God said to Abraham. You, you remember uh, who Abraham was? Do you remember Abraham's, like, his, his long name? Abraham uh, from Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, so this is like 1,500 years later, but it's the same region. This is Mesopotamian lore. This is the same stuff. So God had called Abraham, Abraham out of a similar Mesopotamian culture, and and. You remember what he said. He brought him out in a night full of stars and he said, Abraham, look up, count the stars if you can. And that's a beautiful thing. And when we talk about that covenant, we go, this is, you can't count the stars. There's too many of them. And Abraham's going to have more kids, bigger family than the amount of stars in the sky. And that's what that's about. And sure, that's what that's about. But there's something else. He comes from a people that count on the stars to give wisdom. And God says, I counted the stars. I'm the one who put the stars there. I'm not just as good as the earthly wisdom you guys have. I'm not just better at the earthly wisdom. I'm a whole different kind of wisdom. We have counselors to call upon. I called upon uh, in preparation for for this uh, sermon. I called upon some common counselors, um, I googled, how do I find peace? And Google said this, accept what you can't change. It's good advice. Forgive. Word. Stay present. All right. Focus on yourself. Keep a journal. I used to, but I have arthritis and it hurts now. Connect with nature. Oh, man. Salt water or a redwood tree can really be helpful. It's pretty, I mean, it might not be perfect. It's not bad advice. The next list Google said was, again, spend time in nature. Good. Meditate. All for it. Christian meditation. <laughs> be grateful. I love that. Just be grateful. Try harder. 
<laughs> Just relax. <laughs> Take responsibility for your actions? Yeah. Don't let your past mistakes define you? <sighs> yeah, but some... But without the cross, don't they? Love yourself. Self-care. Look, we live in a world just that loves the concept of self-care. And look, I'm all for drink some water, take a nap. Like, these are not bad ideas. Like, take a walk and don't work so much. And like, there's great stuff. And you know, if you've got, if you've got lotion you like, use it, I guess. I don't know. Like, I'm all for like, all, all, all of it. It's great. But the question of the day is not, is it good? It's, is it enough? I like the last one, declutter. That's not going to work for me. <laughs> Some of it's not bad advice, but you just might find that it's not enough. It might be stuff that works sometimes, but you, something might happen that you figure out that's not enough. So we have financial counselors and we have emotional counselors and we have relational counselors and we have occupational counselors and they all have something to offer. But when it comes to meaning, when it comes to existential truth, when it comes to the true truth, we need more than earthly wisdom. There might be a religious version of that too, that the best life, peace and joy can be found in the right church and the right theology and, and the, the least amount of sin. And isn't that right? Like, wouldn't you say, sure, sin less and you'll be happier. Yeah, I think generally that's probably true. Stop sinning so much and you'll probably be happier. Is that the answer though? Is just religious perfection the answer? Remember, Proverbs is in the Bible. Live right and you'll live better. But Job is in the Bible too. And when you need more than earthly wisdom can offer, that's when you have entered the world of the existential crisis. Welcome. We have meetings. No, we don't. Here, we're having one right now. When you ask, what's it all mean? And you either press on until you get an answer for that, or you spend your life pretending not to have that question. Nebuchadnezzar's tired of pretending. He's just got to the point where he's sick of pretending that this stuff works. And so this, this next section in, uh, in our passage today, it's, it's kind of long, but three times Nebuchadnezzar goes, my word is firm. You tell me what the dream was, and then you can tell me the interpretation. And they go, okay, just tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he goes, look, I can tell you're stalling. You just want more time. I already told you the truth. And it's a little bit graphic. He's like, you don't tell me the dream. I will tear you limb for limb. I'll burn down your house. But if you tell me the dream, then I'll trust you for its interpretation. And I'll make you have great honor. And they go, look, nobody could do this. Nebuchadnezzar has had it. There's a piece of that. You just see his frustration. Shut up and tell me. But also what he's asking is not entirely unreasonable. He's only asking these counselors to do what they claim they can do. As we read Daniel, it reminds me of some other familiar stories in the Old Testament. That the Egyptian plagues were not random, but they were attacks on the Egyptian gods. Oh, you guys worship the Nile? 
Well, now it's useless and bloody. Oh, you guys think that you're divine and this divinity's coming through your lineage? There goes your firstborn. Oh, it's the cow god, it's the frog god, it's the whatever. I'm going to just blow all of this up. You remember Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. Who is Baal? He is the god of lightning. If anybody can start a fire, it should be him. That was my, one of my favorite things I ever did is preach through the life of Elijah around here. But, but that, that's just so impactful to me that, that Elijah doesn't like challenge the, the prophets of Baal on some random thing. It's like, let's see if your God can do what he says he can do. And I would really challenge us all to do that with our gods. What are the American gods? We talk about it a lot. I don't know, wealth and comfort and self and celebrity and youth and following our heart. Well, does it work? Because if it does, go for it. But if it doesn't, you need something else. I love scientific discovery, but without the answer to why, the answer to what and how are only so helpful. I know how I'm here. I don't need a biology lesson. I know what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes I struggle with what, but mostly I'm like, yeah, go to work, preach sermons on Sunday, play catch with Miguel. I, I got it. But those are only so helpful without why. Why does any of this matter? So, in their frustration, sometimes people get so mad and frustrated that they tell the truth. And that's what happens in verse 10. This is this accidental and almost right answer. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. Did you think we could actually do this? For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell a story that I, I should have gotten permission because um, my mom's story and my mom's sitting right over here and she hates being the center of attention, so don't look. But when my, when my mom was a, a youth, she was having an existential crisis and wanted to know what it all meant. She went to a local pastor and explained it. And the local pastor said, oh, sweetie, you're young. You'll get over it. See, she needed more. But even that guy who's leading a church didn't have any more. And that's where these guys are. Nebuchadnezzar, you're asking too much. Neb, we have a good thing going here. We know that we can't actually read the stars for any meaningful thing. You know we can't do it, we can't do it, but pretending has got us in a lot of power. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods. Ah. Whose dwelling is not with flesh. So, what an admission. These guys are absolutely right about one thing and tragically wrong about another. The thing that they got right is that the, the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods. Well, guys, aren't you in charge of talking to the gods? Isn't this what you do? Do it. 
But when the rubber meets the road, we all know that worldly wisdom, self-help, education, physical fitness, self-care can only go so far. It all has limits. These guys have reached their limit. They probably would never admit that, but Nebuchadnezzar has threatened their lives. They don't have any recourse except to go, come on, Neb. We were never serious about this. We all know that when we talk to the gods, we don't actually talk to the gods. We know healthy people die sometimes. We all know money doesn't buy meaning. We all know that no amount of fame or likes or beauty or status actually fulfills, but we don't have any better ideas, so we just keep leaning into them. These dudes are right. Some things don't have answers here on earth. But here's where they're wrong. Maybe their gods don't dwell with flesh. But that has always been Yahweh's plan. From the very beginning, that He would dwell with us. From Eden to the temple to the covenants, it was always about, I will be your God. I will be in your midst. The blind spot for the Babylonian wise men is the same blind spot of modern life. If there's meaning, if there's something out there, then we certainly don't have access to it. So you got to go find your own meaning. Look, Nebuchadnezzar, if you give us something to work with, we can make something up. We can consult our charts. We can follow our customs. And we'll do the best we can. And that's all our counselors of modern life can give us too. Look, what's wrong? We'll follow our customs. We'll follow our charts. We'll consult the experts and we'll do our best. But none of us think it's actually going to fulfill you. In our age, we think about legacy or we think about power or we think about influence or we think about making our mark. But we all know that it doesn't work. (laughs) That eventually you need more because the kingdom of the heavens certainly isn't available to us. And then about 600 years after this, angels came declaring Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. And then Jesus said, I will be with you until the end of the age. And then Hebrews says that we can approach the throne of grace. We don't have to say, nobody can know, this is God's business but God is with us in a way that Nebuchadnezzar has no concept of, but Daniel does. The book of Daniel is very much a book of its time. It's proof that Yahweh is better than the Babylonian gods, that the the wisdom of Yahweh is better than the Babylonian wisdom. And we could do the same now. What do the wise men of our culture say leads to meaning of life? Wealth, comfort, follow your heart, whatever it is. But what if Yahweh, what if Jesus could beat our gods at their own game too? What if comfort and wealth and youth and celebrity, whatever it is we worship, aren't the path to joy and peace and love and acceptance and feeling okay? What if religion isn't either? At some point, we get to the point where we say, wait, this stuff doesn't work. And when you get there, Give up and follow Jesus. Trust Him with everything. It's not a hidden part of the gospel. The very first part of the gospel is die to yourself. Repent. 
and follow me. That's the secret to a happy life. Let's talk practically how we would put this into place. Well, first of all, we need to move from worshiping good things to being grateful for good things. We need to start looking at our families and our salaries and blessings in life and stop finding meaning in them and start receiving them as good gifts. And if it's not there tomorrow, then that'll be okay. Because we weren't worshiping any, we never counted on our retirement plan to satisfy us. We never never counted on our job to be where there was meaning in our life. We never counted on our spouse being the one who would fulfill everything about us. We never planned on our kids being so perfect that they spoke so highly of us that that's what gave us meaning. We're never planning on that. We receive these as good gifts, but we never worship them. We need to Stop making comfort or happiness the goal. You're never going to find happiness if what you're trying to do is be happy. But if you can make the worship of Jesus the goal of your life, then you'll find peace and love and joy. We need to worship Jesus sacrificially not just superficially. Like, I'm all for old-time religion. I love getting a get-fiddle and singing some songs. I love, I, love, I love praying together. I love preaching to you. This is great. It's my favorite thing. But if this is it, we're going to have a hard time finding meaning. It's going to take you dying to yourself. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take you living out the idea. When I say, hey, Jesus is the answer, nothing else is, none of you are going, what? I've never heard this before. But so few of us live like that. It's going to take sacrificing your time, your money, your strengths, your talents for the worship of Him. It's not going to be a little devotional once in a while. It's going to be deep, relational prayer over time where you'll find meaning in your life. And fourth and lastly for our morning, we need to worship Jesus because he deserves it, not as a religious end. If you're worshiping Jesus so you'll be happy, I got bad news for you, that doesn't work either. But if you're falling on your face, at the foot of the cross because you love Jesus so much and this is the path to meaning. You know, I imagine there's some of us who are in the middle of a crisis like this right now and I imagine there's some of us who go, I have no idea what you're talking about. The world makes perfect sense to me, Grant. It's all working out. Well, put this in your hip pocket because there might come a time when the answers that you have are not enough. And then it'll be time to give up and follow Jesus with everything you got. Heavenly Father, thank you for the the incredible difference between your wisdom and earthly wisdom. Lord, help us to see it clearly that following our heart, that seeking after our own comfort, seeking after our own power and 
likes and celebrity and youthfulness and whatever it is. Lord, look so different than die to ourselves, repent, confess our sins and follow you. Lord, help us to see clearly not only the difference in that wisdom, but the difference in the results. Lord, help us to be people that can avoid these kind of crises like Nebuchadnezzar's in because we were never planning on earthly wisdom to satisfy us. But rather we know, God, that our hearts will be satisfied with nothing short of you. God, if there's people in the room hurting, that are struggling with meaning, that are struggling with identity, that are struggling with what's it all mean and why does it all work this way and am I ever going to feel okay? Lord, I pray that along with maybe you know worldly wisdom things that might help, along with going for a walk and sitting at a redwood tree and learning to surf and whatever that might be, those might be good things, but God, if we worship them, they're bad things. Lord, I pray that it would start with just a full life submission to you. And God, that you as a loving Father would be gracious to us. If there's people in the room that are hurting, that you would comfort their hearts now. That as we let go, open our hands and relinquish control in our lives to you, that, that you would satisfy us, Lord, that you would give us peace despite our circumstances. God, thanks for the morning. In Jesus' name, amen.